So is there a God? Well, we, we come to the, the second of the seven big questions uh, that we are looking at alongside uh, nearly 30 other churches throughout the local community uh, as we explore God together. And is there a God? Today's question actually reminds me of a friend of mine, uh, a good friend from several years ago named Saul. Uh, Saul and I met at a, a coffee shop on the edge of campus. Uh, he was an interesting character. I loved to, to talk with him. Uh, and he was an atheist. Uh, he didn't believe in God, but at the same time, he was glad to talk about God. He found the subject to be quite interesting. And so Saul and I had some fascinating conversations. In fact, as we got to know each other, we would meet up at this uh, coffee shop and, and share a bit of how things were going, going on in our lives. And I remember one day coming in and he said, so how's your week going? And he could tell I wasn't having a very good week. And I said, yeah, you know, there's just some stressors and I'm feeling anxious. And I kind of went on about this stuff. And then he just looked at me and shook his head and he said, Camper, if you believed in the God that you say you believe in, I don't think you'd be this stressed. So, I mean, here he was, not even believing in God, and yet calling me out in my own unbelief. Uh, but the conversation that probably stands out the most is, one day we were talking about the God of the Bible. And he wanted to hear a little bit more about my faith and why I believed. And so, after a while, it occurred to me, and I don't know why it hadn't in the, the months and months prior to this, but as, as we were talking, I said, you know, Saul... The, there's a character in the Bible named Saul. D did you know that? And to my surprise, he said, yeah, there's two of them. I said, well, yeah, yeah, there are. There's one in the Old and one in the New Testament. I said, well, I'm thinking about the one in the New Testament. Because, you know, he had a life-changing encounter with the living God, with Jesus Christ. And he changed his name from Saul to Paul. And he said, I know. My real name was Paul. When I decided I didn't believe in God, I changed it to Saul. Like many of us, Saul questioned. He wondered. He would engage in these conversations about God. He thought about God. Does God really exist? Is there a God? And if there is, does it matter? Well, the ancient king and Hebrew poet David wrote in Psalm 19, and if you want to take a look at it, you'll find it in the Bible under the chair in front of you. It begins on page 456. But Psalm 19, David begins, Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims His handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. And what he is doing is he is looking around, looking at the world around him, and he sees evidence of God everywhere he looks, up, down, all around. Now, later, and, and of course David authored many of the Psalms, but uh, later Psalm 139, uh, David says, verse 14, I praise you, O Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. And here he is in awe of how he is made up, how he has been 
put together as a human being, he recognizes his own innate sense of God. And he sees evidence of God deep within his own heart, his own being, his own soul. Is there a God? Does God exist? I mean, it's a, it's a universal question. It's a very human question. And, of course, a very important question. And so today I want to help us explore this question. I, I want to help us by, uh, by looking outside ourselves and also inside ourselves. In other words, I want to help us to consider external evidence of God and internal evidence of God. Now, as we dive in, it's important to shift our perspective a bit. Okay, instead of thinking about proof, think in terms of clues. Clues like, like fingerprints that help a detective solve a mystery. And of course, here we're looking for the fingerprints of God. Because you see, God's existence can't be proven empirically. But it can be inferred logically, just like with many scientific theories, especially uh, theories uh, in the realm of physics. So what we're going to talk about this morning is not mathematic proof, scientific proof, uh, but rather we're going to be talking about observation and logical deduction. And so we'll look at external evidence and internal evidence. And so let's start with what's outside. First, external evidence. I think again about what David says at the start of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. So right after college, I was a snow ski instructor in Colorado. Uh, there were a lot of wonderful things about being a ski instructor and especially about living in the Rocky Mountains. And at the very top of that list was the natural beauty. I mean, I, I grew up about an hour northeast of Atlanta, uh, went to school in North Carolina in a, a small city, but I, I had never lived in a vast place like the Rocky Mountains. And so one of the things that I loved, and I'm not really even a morning person, but I loved that I had to be at the, at the base of the mountain uh, early in the morning because when I would start driving in, in the, in the heart of winter, it was dark. But it was always as dawn was breaking. And I would be anticipating that beauty as the sun would be uh, rising over the backside of the mountain that we'd be skiing on, the backside of that snow-covered mountain. It, 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 was, it was amazing to see. And then I, I think about those cold, dark nights. Uh, I had a friend that, that lived nearby, and uh, he had a little crow's nest on the top of his house. And so we could go up there, could, depending on how cold it was, only last a few moments. But there, just to look up and to see the pitch black sky, but then just the brilliance of the stars that were shining there. In fact, one of the things that I had thought growing up is that a shooting star was a pretty rare thing. Until I lived in the Rocky Mountains where there wasn't the light pollution, and you would look up, and if you looked up for uh, any number of minutes, you would almost always see a shooting star. And of course, the top of the mountain was a great place. Just the breathtaking views, uh, whether, it, uh, whether it be the mountains themselves in the background or the fields below or the lakes or the rivers or the wildlife. But what, what struck me was that 
it was actually easy to miss all that if you weren't really looking. I mean, even though it was right in front of you. So if, if you were a skier or a snowboarder, you, you, you probably know what it's like. You're there to, to ski and to board, and so you get on the lift, and you ride it to the top, and you get off, and you go down, and you make your cuts, and you have a lot of fun. But I remember one time getting off the lift at the top, about to head down, and my buddy just grabs me. And he says, hey, man, stop. Just check it out. Look at how awesome this is. I mean, sit back and admire the handiwork. Well, that phrase has stayed with me. Admire the handiwork. Because what's implied is the work of someone's hands. And so whether looking out at the mountains, or standing on the edge of the ocean, or being in the middle of a jungle, or looking deep into a canyon, or even looking up at the sky above, Deep down in all of us, we are confronted with a question. The question is this. Why is there something rather than nothing? When you look around, why is there something rather than nothing? I mean, the very fact that there is something is a clue in and of itself. And this clue has become even more intriguing uh, within the scientific community over the past few decades, especially in light of the Big Bang Theory. So the great physicist uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, you probably know of him, he passed away just earlier uh, this year. Uh, Stephen Hawking wrote, Almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. And scientist Francis Collins says, We have this very solid conclusion that the universe had an origin, the Big Bang. Fifteen billion years ago, the universe began with an unimaginably bright flash of energy from an infinitesimally small point. That implies that before that, there was nothing. And I can't imagine how nature, in this case the universe, could have created itself. And the very fact that the universe had a beginning implies that someone was able to begin it. And it seems to me that had to be someone outside of nature. Professor of uh, Theology and Culture, Dr. James Emery White, notes... This puts the whole idea of creation through a creator, not only in line with science, but almost demanded by science. Because you see, the the Bible's contention for a God is right in line with our knowledge of the world when it says, when it begins, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. God created. One who is without beginning. One who stands outside of our boundaries of space and time. Romans 1, 19 and 20 states, For what can be known about God 
is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So why is there something rather than nothing? I mean, think about it. The fingerprints of God are all over it. And further, why this particular something? Why the particular something that, that we know and discover and learn about? I mean, when you think about the, the intricate makeup of the universe, planet Earth, human life, it's as if everything were designed and ordered in a particular way for a particular reason. You see, for life as we know it to exist, there must be, and there are, constants. Constants of nature, cosmological constants, constants of physics. You think about the magnetic pull, gravitational force, tilt and rotation of the earth, speed of light. The composition of the air we breathe has to be the right balance of the elements, nitrogen, oxygen, argon, carbon dioxide, and so on. And all these constants point to a fine-tuned planet in a fine-tuned universe. And so is it, is it all random? Did it just happen by chance? Okay, I want you to think big with me for just a moment. The universe has over 200 billion galaxies. 200 billion galaxies. We live in one of them. The oldest and most distant observed galaxy is 32 billion light years away. 32 billion light years. I mean, I think the coast of California feels far. 32 billion. Okay, now if that is hard to wrap your mind around, let me simplify it for you. A light year measures about 5.9 trillion miles, so just multiply that by 32. There you have it. Or think small for a moment. You know, small is in the, the human body. And, and think about the cells of the human body that, that we've got to look at with a microscope. And within each cell, there are 200,000 amino acids. Okay, and then within the human body, there are over 10 trillion cells. And all of them somehow work together to coordinate all the different functions, the internal systems, the abilities that we have as human beings. Is it all random? Did it all just happen by chance? Okay, here's a, a, a very simple explanation because those very big and very small things begin to hurt my brain. So I'm going to go really simple for a moment, for my own sake at least. So let's just say you, you, you come home from vacation. <clears throat> you get home and, and your yard is a mess because there are, there are limbs and branches everywhere. They're just randomly strewn throughout your yard. Now, your conclusion is probably very quickly, there must have been a storm. Now, you probably already know that because you've got an app on your phone and you checked out the weather. 
But let's just, you know, think pre-app. So you get home and you go, conclusion, storm came by. So what do you have to do the next day? You, you, you decide you're going to go do some yard work. You're going to begin to clean up the yard. And the first thing you do is you get all the, the sticks and the branches and you put them in a pile, right? Okay, so another guy gets home from vacation. And he sees his yard is a mess too. And he goes walking through the neighborhood and he sees everybody's yard is a mess. And he knows there's this storm that's randomly put everything there. Now when he comes to your yard, do you think he goes, wow, now that is amazing. The random placement of all the sticks and branches in Camper's yard are in a pile. I wonder how that went down. I mean, no, of course. It, the, the logical conclusion is that someone put them in a pile. There was yard work to be done. Clearly, there was a purpose. Someone behind the pile of sticks. It's intentional. By design, not random, not by chance. <clears throat> Again, scientist Francis Collins. When you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants, gravitational constant, various constants about the strong and weak nuclear forces. There are 15 constants that have precise values. If any one of those constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases, by one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxy, stars, planets, or people. And even atheist Stephen Hawking concluded, the odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think there are clearly religious implications. It would be very difficult to explain why the universe would have begun in just this way except is the act of a God who intended to create beings like us. And it reminds me of what the ancient prophet Isaiah said. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not a one of them is missing. They're all there. Okay, so that's not everything, but that's a bit about external evidence. So let's, let's shift now to what's inside. Second, internal evidence. So think back to what King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 3. And I say think back because if you were here last week, uh, we were in this part of the passage, at least a little bit of it. But Ecclesiastes 3, verses uh, 11 to 13, uh, Solomon wrote, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into our hearts. I perceive that there is nothing better for people than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. This 
is God's gift to us. Okay, several themes there. We, we hear themes of beauty, eternity, joy, goodness, pleasure, relationship. All things that all people everywhere appreciate and desire. All things that each of us, things that each of us deeply longs for. So a moment ago we talked about order and purpose and design, and, and let me get slightly more sophisticated than the pile of sticks. <clears throat> so if, if, you were to, if you were to come upon a table that was set for dinner, you know, tablecloth, plates, uh, silverware, glassware, name cards, centerpiece candles, you would not think that this has just been randomly set. I mean, not even that somebody gathered all those pieces and just threw them up in the air and they landed that way. No, you would know that it has clearly been set by someone. There's order, there's design. But not only that, it's been set with vision. There's vision behind this. It's been set with vision for beauty and relationships. Vision for people coming together around a meal in a place that is warm and inviting and welcoming. A place that encourages conversation and relationships so that people can enjoy being together. Well, think about that for a moment. Where does our appreciation for beauty come from? And where does our desire for relationship come from. Pastor and theologian Tim Keller writes, if we are merely the product of accidental natural forces, then what we call beauty is nothing but a neurological hardwired response to particular data. You only find certain scenery to be beautiful because you had ancestors who knew you would find food there, and they survived because of that neurological feature, and now we have it too. In the same way, though music feels significant, it's not. That significance is only an illusion. And love, too, must be seen in this light. If we are the result of blind natural forces, then what we call love is simply a biochemical response inherited from ancestors who survived because this trait helped them survive. And yet we believe in love. We know that love is really real, even though we can't prove it empirically. Well, that's internal evidence of something beyond ourselves, of someone who has planted that, who has put that knowledge and that desire inside of us. Or what about our sense of right and wrong? Where does that come from? Uh, back to Psalm 19, uh, notice what David says in verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent of hidden faults. You see, David has a sense of right and wrong. In fact, he recognizes that he does wrong things and even sometimes does wrong things and doesn't even know that he did it. But everyone has a sense of right and wrong. 
I mean, for example, if somebody cuts you off in traffic, you know it's wrong. Unless, of course, it's you cutting them off, in which case you know it was right to do. But, you know, we... we Why is it that some things are so wrong that they repulse us? And other things are so right that they fill us with joy and awe. Keller continues, If the world was made by a God of peace, justice, and love, then that's why we know that violence, oppression, and hate are wrong. If the world is fallen, broken, and needs to be restored, that explains the violence and disorder we see. And if you believe human rights are a reality, then it makes much more sense that God exists than that he does not. Our longings for beauty, eternity, joy, goodness, pleasure, relationship, peace, justice, truth, Love, these longings are signs that impress themselves on our hearts and our minds and point us to the God who exists. Because when you think about it, either way, it's a significant step of faith. I mean, either you take a significant step of faith to believe that there is a God... Or you take a significant step of faith to believe that there is not. As one philosopher puts it, the theory that there is a God who made the world accounts for the evidence we see much better than the theory that there is no God. I mean, it's the basic scientific principle of Occam's razor. All things being equal, the simplest explanation tends to be the right one. Okay, so that's the big question for today. Is there a God? Is there a God? Does God exist? And maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, yeah, great. Okay, so maybe there is a big God. A big God who created everything. The universe, the world, human beings, But does he care? And does he care about me? Well, you know, one of the great gifts in any relationship is self-disclosure. Is the giving of oneself to another. Revealing who you really are to someone else. And it's always a gift of grace. Well, the God who created all things, seen and unseen, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who created human beings, you and me, and every single person we see, that God has chosen to reveal himself, and it's a gift of grace to us precisely because he cares. He makes himself known in big and small ways, and even in very personal ways. Now we'll talk about this more in a few weeks. But the clearest revelation of himself that God has given to us is in the person of Jesus, who we meet in the Bible. 
For as it says in Colossians 1, He, Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Does God exist? Yes. Does he care? Yes. In the person of Jesus, God came to us and gave himself for us that we might know him now in one day live with him in perfect joy forever. Let's pray. O God of wonders, Lord of all creation, you are holy, you are good, and we thank you that you have made yourself known to us. Lord of heaven and earth, open our eyes to see and our hearts to believe. Amen.